did you start re-recording or did you just put a marker in? Uh, this is a new recording and, uh... Okay, good. Hey, man. Hey. Hey. So what are we gonna, what are we gonna talk about today? About incubators, labs. Accelerators. Yeah, all cool. of, all of these difficult words. Cool, cool corporate, um... What do we want to call these things? What's what's the what's the uh, sort of larger word for these corporate outcroppings? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know Cor- corporate startups. It's kind corporate of startups. a it's kind of an oxymoron. So a lot of times within within Raft, uh, and and what spurred today's topic is we get called in to these different areas within larger corporations, and sometimes they're called accelerators, Some call it, sometimes they're called incubators, sometimes it's research and development, sometimes it's labs, sometimes it's 20% time, and we get called into these to work with these teams essentially in order to create ideas or products or concepts that are unshackled by the typical corporate environment or corporate process that many of these smaller teams or smaller organizations are set up within. So why do these things exist? Last episode, we talked about Revolut, the new fintech that is making these prepaid cards with extremely nice user experience. And this is a startup that basically was created out of nothing or out of a whole bunch of motivated, smart people that wanted to start a new product in a boring sector. Of course, there's these big companies in the fintech sector as well. They've been there for years. And to compete, these companies want to kind of get on the same foot as the startups. And that's how they figured out that they need something that is more nimble and something that acts more like a startup. Well, I think for so long you had research and development, right? And the idea there was obviously to come up with, uh, most of the time, new technologies within the the digital or the software space. Uh, and, And then you started seeing labs pop up, right? And labs were sort of these organization or teams that were set outside of the normal corporation. And then you started to see things like incubators or accelerators pop up where it was actually within the organization and it was meant to push an idea forward quickly or sometimes they're copying VC models, which has been quite popular. Uh, they're trying to take this, this Silicon Valley startup style and bring it into the corporation. Yeah, what I think you see with more of the labs and R&D departments is that they have the technology, but they don't necessarily have the attitude for creating a product that is very different from the norm of the big company. They're good at innovation in an evolutionary sense, putting new technology in old products or making slightly newer products that are based on the previous ones, giving superpowers to what they have. But they have trouble breaking away completely from their current structure. You know, I might push back on that a little bit. I, I, I think you do see, for a lot of the corporations we've worked with, and both of us have been in consulting for the better part of a decade, I think for a lot of times you do see research and development or labs that are able to create really innovative ideas. But... but you know, perhaps if they are in larger organizations and they're sort of encumbered by their processes, yes, that is where they get evolutionary. Yeah. But I don't think it's necessarily that, that uh, I, I would reframe your statement, at least in, in my opinion, I would reframe your statement a little bit to say that a lot of times the reasons why these large corporations, you know, we're talking 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 people here, 
get so stuck is because they have one way of working, one way of handling their process, and one way of coming up with ideas. And then they do have research and development or labs that come up with these innovative ideas. And I think everything's a, a little bit different, but I don't necessarily think those struggle to make innovative ideas. But what I have seen in the last 10 years, or you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years, is you're seeing these teams and these organizations having a larger push to really come up with with something innovative and something disruptive because they are going out against startups. So I think before you would see these situations where research and development or labs would feed into the corporation and now they're sort of being broken out because it's creating the situation that we talked about last time with Revolut, yeah. right? Where it if there is a situation where a startup can have a low barrier of entry, uh, you know, whether that's a low capital cost of investment, and, you know, and they can connect to users in a better way, they're going to do that. That's where you're going to get disrupted. So you're seeing more and more of that, especially as more products move digital because it's a lower cost and a lower barrier of entry. And so now I think you see so many of these incubators and accelerators really pushing to say, uh-oh, you know, and now I, I, I would agree with, with you maybe, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago that labs and R&D were sort of encumbered by mm -hmm. the processes of corporates. But I think now you're seeing a different situation because it is becoming, you know, a scenario of we have to compete or people are going to eat our lunch. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm I'm incorrect on that. That's just what I've seen. Yeah, I think one big difference, or at least not in every situation, but mostly, is that people who start a startup actually have a lot of risk on them personally starting this. They invest a lot of their time, sometimes a lot of their money, sometimes even their whole life, basically. Whereas people that are within a accelerator within a corporate actually might still have their job if it fails. No, it's, that's a good point. I, I think where I can riff off that is this whole idea of celebrating failure, yeah. which I've been hearing for decades, right? Celebrate failure. But I personally don't like that. I, and I, I, I know people may push back on this. What I really like is the idea of learning from failure, that you don't let failure stop you, but you don't necessarily say, we failed, that's a great success, right? I, like, I don't, I think... Failure is failure. The success is what you take away from it yep. and what you learn and apply to the next product to make it successful. But if you, you know, fail 10 years in a row, you still don't have the product out the door. And I'm not sure if you've learned from that, given how many failures that happened. So that's just my personal situa situation. And I think initially with R&D departments or with labs, it really was a lot about learning. Yeah. And then you you created a concept and idea and you handed it over to the larger product teams. But with the sort of Silicon Valley culture and you know, fail fast, fail often, that it's created this idea that somehow we should always celebrate failure. I want to celebrate the learning and apply that. I think we've been misinterpreting what this slogan actually means, fail fast and fail often. It actually means don't be risk averse and try things out that you haven't tried yes. to learn from them. Yes. And it's not fail often because failing is the thing that we're going for. It is learning from that failure and not doing it again. Correct. I, okay. I, I think you put that very sort of nice and succinctly. So it's one of the things that from a incubator point of view, if you are a large company or if you're listening to this, I would always make sure that when people, when a, people have a concept, a product or an idea and it doesn't work out, Right, because a lot of times incubators, accelerators, they are focused around creating new products, research and development, slightly different labs, maybe slightly different from what I've seen, or 20% time, maybe slightly different as well. Make sure that those things are documented. 
it, it is it is mind boggling to me when I talk to um, you know management or executives of companies, and they've talked about how much they you know will celebrate these things, and I say, well, you know, what did you learn from it? And they give me the three high level bullet points. But where is the, the, the real paper? Where's that real information that goes in depth that really tells me here are the things that we, that any team who does anything like this should take away from this, right? Give me that. Let me dig into that because any new team that starts up, they better have a good week of reading around what went wrong before so they have a good understanding and foundation of where they can build in the future. Especially if the new team is actually filled with new people who haven't done this yet. The idea of an accelerator is to actually succeed. It's not to train people into figuring out the startup model and then uh, putting them on a, a different assignment again. So, so with that, what we were just talking about, right? This idea of learning and bringing information back into new teams, whether that's a new team or an existing team trying again. One of the other things that I often see with these different type of innovation organizations is they oftentimes almost rebel against process yeah. because they've come from a larger organization that has a very strict process, whether that's Six Sigma or, you know, whatever that's, that's going to be. And all of a sudden they say, well, no, 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 we need to be creative. And this is one of the things that drives me bonkers. Creativity is not just, let me just have open greenfield, right? No. Great, great creativity can thrive under the idea that you have constraints. Without constraints, if you start to design without constraints, that means you haven't defined your problem. You don't know what you're solving. Totally love it. For me, it's not just about the constraints, but it's how you build a product. I, I am shocked when I go in and talk to people and say, well, you know, what's, what's your MVP? And they'll, they'll start to rattle something off, but they're also telling me what their grand vision is. Yeah. And I say, okay, well, how have you broken this down? How are you estimating the workload. How are, you know, I ask, I, I love process. I'm a big process person for a creative guy. But the reason I ask these questions about how are you managing your features or your backlog, whether you're agile, whether you're waterfall, how are you estimating your time? How are you estimating if you're doing agile, your velocity? And a lot of times people will sort of recoil at this. They'll say, well, you know, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're just going to go and build it. We're going to be creative. And I think it, it doesn't allow you to set expectations if you're trying to sell this outside the company, it doesn't set expectations inside the company. So there's all these situations that process isn't bad, whether it's constraints about your problem definition or how you set, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I literally just said it, sort of expectations internally within your organization. These are things that process is quite good for. So I, I don't understand and I would recommend that people who are in these incubators, accelerators, 20% time to actually embrace process. You don't have to overdo it. You don't have to, you know, do one hour meetings every day, but have something loosely in place that allows you to articulate what you're trying to accomplish and when you can accomplish it and why it's going to actually meet the expectations of those people who are going to use it. There's also no way to track success or failure if you don't have process. You need to know what you're doing, when you're doing it, and how you're going to build it. It's like building a puzzle, holding all of the pieces in your hands at the same time. You won't be able to build it. You need to build it one piece at a time. Ha! Huh. I remember something uh, somebody said to me a very, very long time ago, and I always loved this. This is a bit of a tangent, just when you said about the puzzle. I was talking to him about some goals that I wanted to, uh, to reach and all the things that were blocking me. And he said, don't wait till all the lights are green to step on the gas. Yeah. And I was like that. So many people will, you know, try to get all the puzzle pieces in place before they go and say, well, this is, this is it. 
right? But just start working. So again, get your priority, get your process in place, but start working towards something because that's going to get your results. It's also surprising to me how many times I see people who will have a great idea, a great pitch, but they won't be able to get it into execution. And that's because X, Y, and Z, whatever these features are, just aren't all aligned. And they're waiting for everything to work out before they put pen to paper. And I think that comes from the sort of notion of larger corporations that I don't want to fail or I don't want to have. So, so this is where, you know, failure, as you said, risk yeah. should be tolerated, but start moving because the, the first times that you make something real is the first time people can react to it. And that's when you know if you have something beautiful or if it's just another sort of like, okay, we need to learn from it and move on. This is one of our cultural principles at Raft is is that your idea is great, but guess what? It is fundamentally worthless. Everybody has ideas. Everybody can make a pitch deck. Maybe it's a crappy pitch deck, but guess what? Everybody can have an idea from a four-year-old kid, 90-year-old kid, somebody in Indonesia, somebody in Africa, somebody in the Middle East, somebody in the U.S. Everybody has ideas. The thing that will differentiate you is to be able to put that idea into action and make it real and show its viability. In your process, you will have to convince stakeholders that you're doing the right thing. And it's easy to convince stakeholders within your own company of things that you have been trying for years and it looks new and it looks flashy, but actually you need your users to prove that what you're making is actually the thing that they need. And you have to ask yourself the tough questions and sometimes it's easier to just put it in front of people that will show you if you're going the right way or not. And the only way you can do that is by starting small and building on top of that. So to that point about how you bring in stakeholders and, and do these types of situations, one of the other things so we talked about uh, process, we talked a little bit about you know understanding that risk and, and that failure. I think the other thing that we wanted to get across that we see so many times, especially in Europe, I won't even say Europe, I will say what I've seen when I've traveled into Southeast Asia, um, in the Middle East, and in Europe, there seems to be this idea that if we recreate Silicon Valley, those cultures those pieces, those drivers that we are going to find success. And when you're talking to the organization, I think it's so important to find out what cultural principles are valuable to these types of accelerators, incubators, labs, because not everything, people are not going to recreate San Francisco, the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. It is about finding out what is unique to you and your company and then finding what are the purposeful parts that we want to rebel against and then what are the parts that are actually valuable and are assets that we can build on. Bay Area startups work because of their ecosystem and what they are in between and you cannot recreate that area. You have to see what your ecosystem is to see how your things can work. It's always so surprising to me because I was just reading an article about France trying to be a startup hub and again it always comes back to well this is you know this is what we've learned from silicon valley and i just think that europe i mean you know this from the us and i've lived in the us and i've been living over here it is a completely different culture yeah and it is so important to grasp those cultural elements to find what is special i mean you know for what we do at raft we have very specific cultural elements and some of those are very american and some of those are not you know very american yeah but we found what is unique about the things we love that we've learned from the culture in Netherlands and in Amsterdam and the culture of being multinational and having all these, you know, sort of diverse people with us. 
and we've tried to figure out what makes us valuable and what makes us work, but it is definitely not, you know, trying to mimic what we've seen with other successful companies. We had to figure it out for ourselves. And I think every team or every organization or every corporate that is trying to build an organization like that should really reflect on what those cultural pieces are that are strategic assets and what are the things they want, they want to rebel against. So I think if we wrap this up, there are three things that we would want people who are trying to set up these types of teams to take away. One is really learning from failure, really learning how to accept risk, but setting that up in a way that everybody understands what you're trying to do. And with everybody, it's also outside of your team. Yes. You're inside of a big corporate. Everybody needs to learn what you learned. The second thing is make sure you actually have a process in place. Constraints are good. Process is good. Don't overdo it but make sure that there is something in place there and have your operations organized within that team. I, I strongly caution against simply letting people go wild and go greenfield. I mean, that can really be research and development, but I think if you're going to be an accelerator and incubator, if you're going to try to make products, you need something in place there. And lastly, what we just talked about, really understand what makes you unique from a cultural perspective. Don't try to be another Elon Musk, another Steve Jobs, another Apple, another Google. Find out what makes you unique and be whatever company X, you know, and have people say, wow, I want to be like company X, instead of saying company X is just trying to copy whatever they've seen in San Francisco. So I think those are the, uh, those are the three main takeaways for today. So, Chris, it's been good talking to you. Thanks, man. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.